three this morning. So if you'd like to turn there, you can. You'll also find the text uh, printed for you in your bulletin. We're going to be talking this morning about community and about Christian community. Uh, and you know, there are, there are a lot of things in our lives today that work against community, uh, work against us having deep relationships with other people. Uh, you know, we're we're, we've got long commutes, we've got busy schedules, we've got family activities pulling us in 18 different directions all at once, and then when we catch some downtime, the way we tend to spend our downtime is in front of the television, or in front of the computer, uh, or, or any of these places, listen to the iPod, we plug into our technology for our downtime instead of plugging into other people, and so... All of our technology has kind of replaced the front porch uh, and good conversation and uh, making good music ourselves. Uh, instead, we just download it all. And, and we can fight against some of that lack of community. There's different things we can do. Uh, we can work at Christian hospitality and work together together and enjoy one another and know one another. But, but here's the thing. You know, we're having this cookout tonight at our house. And even if you all came over there and you just liked it so much that you decided to stay uh, and throw up, and Susan would be really excited about that. But if we just, but let, not in the house, we just threw up tents in the backyard and we decided to have a Grace Presbyterian Church commune. Okay? Um, even if we decided to do that, we still wouldn't experience true community uh, unless these virtues that Paul's going to mention in the text this morning begin to take root in our hearts and our lives. But if these sort of virtues do take root in our lives, can you imagine how attractive that would be uh, to a society that longs so desperately for community? Where people are so disconnected from one another. Uh, the church ought to be the group of people that demonstrates to culture what true community actually looks like. Um, and you know this, this community of grace, another way to say this is this community of Grace Presbyterian Church ought to have a certain vibe, right? uh, a, certain, a certain ethos about it. Uh, when, when, when people come in here uh, among us, they ought to say, you know what, there's something different here. There's something welcoming here. There's something gracious here. There's something good here. And so the two things I want us to get at from the text this morning are what is this vibe, what is this ethos that grace ought to have, and then how do we get it? All right, what is it, how do we get it? Let's read the text. Colossians 3, this is God's word. Do not lie to one another, see, <clears throat> seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." 
And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. To pray with me. Father, even in this act of preaching and listening, we're confronted with our own inadequacies. Father, I'm not adequate to present these truths of your word. And so I pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us uh, even now. uh, And that you would enable my words and that you enable all of our hearts uh, to hear uh, and to be transformed and encouraged by your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's the, what's the vibe we're after here? What's the vibe we're after at Grace Presbyterian Church? We're in this section of Colossians uh, where Paul has been encouraging believers to set their minds on things above. And he's encouraged us to put sin to death. Uh, and he's just told us in verse 8 to take anger uh, and disputing and filthy language and to, to get rid of that like it's contaminated clothing. Like it's the clothing you had worn cleaning up the nuclear accident in Japan. He says, get rid of that. You don't want that any longer. And then uh, in verse 10, Paul tells us, in place of that contaminated clothing you've stripped off, to put on this new set of clothes. Uh, and it's as we wear this new set of clothes that our community begins to take on a certain flavor, a certain vibe. Now, here's what I mean by this. Um, think about walking into a gathering of people uh, and everybody is dressed in black and somber music is playing. All right, now think about walking into a community and everybody is dressed uh, in khakis and they're looking at their blackberries. Um, are playing with their laptops. Now, think about walking into a group of people and everybody's wearing shorts and sandals and listening to Jimmy Buffett. I kind of like the third one better. But um, Think of those, those, those three different communities. Now, each one of them, you would say, without talking to anybody, has a certain vibe. Okay, you got your funeral community, your business community, your, your parrot head community. They've all got a certain vibe, a certain feel to them. Now, let's think about this as a church. Uh, If we as a church are wearing the clothing of anger and disputing and lying and just generally not getting along, people sense that and there's a certain vibe that's given off when you come in. But if you're wearing the clothes of compassionate hearts and meekness and humility and kindness, if those are what you're dressed in, then that gives off a different vibe entirely. Uh, And so you see that we begin to find the answer to our question right here in verse 10. What's what's the vibe Grace Presbyterian wants to have? What are the clothes we want to wear? Look in verse 10 together with me. Um, excuse me, verse 12. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Think about compassionate hearts. In in Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells us to be merciful just as our Heavenly Father is merciful. Now think about when you run into somebody um, with a broken life. It's just obviously broken. What's your first reaction to them? Uh, Is it, um, well, you know, they did something to get themselves in this situation and that's just their own fault? Or do you realize that you too have a broken life and that God has been merciful to you and so you're being transformed and learning to show that same mercy to others? Now, Paul mentions next kindness. You know, in a a world that values uh, productivity, um, profit above all things, we're to value kindness. And, you know, I think, startling enough, sometimes our own families can be the place where we're the least kind because we're least on our guard. Um, Just ask yourself that question. How How do we speak even? as a family to each other. Is, is, is kindness one of those things I'm really concerned about? Now the third thing Paul mentions here is humility. All right, if there's anything that a group of people who know that they're saved by grace ought to demonstrate, it's humility. Uh, in a society that often thinks that our technology and our national might uh, can rescue us from any situation, um, we demonstrate the humility that comes from knowing that we're not God. Uh, we demonstrate the humility that comes from knowing that we're saved by grace and not by our works. We demonstrate the humility that comes from seeing Jesus Christ humbly serve us. And so humility begins to become more and more the clothing that we wear. Now, the fourth thing mentioned here is meekness. I don't. What do you think? Oh, you think of meekness? You know, I, I, generally I think of like a mouse cowering over in the corner um, and, and don't really want to be a meek person. Uh, Bobby Knight, the basketball coach, probably remember wasn't very meek, um, but he, he once said, "The meek may well inherit the earth, but they will rarely get rebounds." Um, which I guess there might be some truth to that, uh, because when we think meek, what do we think? We think. Uh, docile, fear, timidity, cowering. But remember, it's Jesus who is meek, who is also the one who cleared the temple uh, because he was angry with what was going on there. And so you might think of meekness in terms of this definition. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Um, uh, put that in in everyday terms. It's like the exact opposite of swagger. Alright? Well, whatever you think of as swagger, then that's that. think of the opposite of that. And that's meekness. I mean, I have a hard time seeing Jesus walking with swagger even when he was angry. He was at the same time meek uh, and humble. Uh, The the fifth thing mentioned here is is patience or long-suffering. Oh man, uh, we're about instant gratification, aren't we? 
Uh, we're, we're, we're a microwave society about everything. Uh, and, and we're called to patience, to patiently wait on the effect of the ministry of word and prayer uh, in our own hearts and lives. Patiently dealing with sin and with dysfunction. Patiently enduring the difficulties that come before us in this life as we, we wait on God's timing. Uh, sixth thing Paul mentions here, to, to forgive one another, bear with one another. Not seven times, but, but 70 times seven, Jesus tells us to forgive our, our brother. We, we patiently put up with and deal with difficult people because we know we're those difficult people a lot of times. Uh, and let me just ask you, is there anybody even within the body perhaps that, that you are having trouble dealing with, coexisting with, uh, remember God's grace and His bearing with you. And that will enable you to bear with others. Uh, and then he points us here to love uh, as the belt that... You know, we've got this outfit we've put on with all these different accessories. And then it's love, he says, that binds it all together. Because if I'm going to be compassionate and humble and meek and long-suffering and forgiving towards you, I've got to love you. Oh, those things are just, they're just not going to come. They're just not going to happen. Um, the people here that gather week after week, are they people you love? Are they just people you happen to get together with every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock? Uh, are they actually your family? There's a uh, story Francis Chan told. He said that uh, an ex-gang member had uh, come to Christ and been baptized and joined their church. And after several months of attending their church, he left. He quit coming anymore. And they, they asked why, and this is what he said. He said, I had the wrong idea of what church was going to be like. When I joined the church, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. You see, in the gangs, we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were family. It's like I, I had more family in my gang than I have in your church. Uh, Paul goes on on top of all these things and he says that, that peace and thankful worship, gratitude, uh, ought to be a part uh, of what characterizes uh, our church, part of the vibe of our church. Not uh, fighting but peace, not complaining but thanksgiving, not about me but about God. Uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Uh, you, you bind it all together with love as the belt. You throw it in a bowl and you mix it all together uh, and, and put worship and thankfulness together with that. Uh, and you have this biblical community. That's what we're after. That's the, that's the ethos, that's the vibe we're after as a church. Now, ask yourself perhaps today, um, am I contributing to, the, to that vibe uh, in a healthy way? You know, what, what clothes am I wearing? Am I helping to give grace the ethos that we want it to have, the vibe that we want it to have? Now, that's the vibe, that's the clothes. How do we get there? Three things. Uh, number one, 
we need to know what the church is. Right? Uh, we need to know that the church is not a building. The church is a people. Right? And perhaps it's obvious to us that this is not Grace Presbyterian Church. Uh, but, but this is not, this building is not Grace Presbyterian Church. You're Grace Presbyterian Church. And where you're gathered, whether it's 10 o'clock or 4 o'clock or whatever, that's Grace Presbyterian Church. That's the people of God. And we're called to work out these virtues of being kind and compassionate to one another, not just when we're sitting down on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, but throughout the week. And we've got to be involved in each other's lives to the extent that you do actually have to forgive one another. If you never have any contact with other people of the church, you're not going to really rub each other the wrong way. And what biblical community is calling you into is the risk of relationships and the difficulties of relationships and the sin of relationships. And that's where the gospel begins to come in um, and work in your heart and your life and to transform you as you're actually in relationship with other people. Um, we want to be the community that God calls us to be and that involves more than just showing up uh, downloading information for 30 minutes and then going about our separate lives. It means that the people of grace become your fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters uh, in, in Christ in the gospel. You know, are you doing that? Are, are, are you working at that? I know that's, I know that's hard for us. Um, but are we, are we consciously working at moving toward one another and not just being a people who show up? And then as new people come and they're checking out this community of grace, are we consciously pulling them in uh, and loving them and saying, hey, we want you to be a part of this family of believers as well. We gravitate toward what's comfortable. And sometimes relationships just aren't comfortable. Uh, but we're called to be a family. We're called to be a family. You see, in the games, we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were family. Uh, so we've got to know that the church is a people, but then we've also got to know that it's our common bond in Christ that binds us together. Right, what is it that... You know, we're, we're working for this thing called biblical community, and it happens in the church, and it happens as we are involved in each other's lives. But what, what really makes it sticky? You know, what sticks us all together? Uh, duct tape has sometimes been called... Anybody heard this 100-mile-an-hour tape? Uh, because it'll hold stuff together even at 100 miles an hour. It's, it's that sticky. It works that well. Christ is the duct tape of the church. Now look at verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, in the church, all the lines between rich and poor, black and white, American and European, north and south, Republican and Democrat, capitalist and socialist, all of these things, blue collar, white collar, all of these lines are meant to be destroyed. And the thing that binds us together, the thing that's amazing to the watching world, 
is that people who can have so many different opinions about so many subjects are actually bound together and have unity in Christ. We're held together in Christ. We've got to know what the church is and we've got to know that Christ is uh, the stickiness of it. It's Christ that binds us together. And then secondly, we've got to know who we are. Uh, Paul says in verse 9 and 10 that we've put off the old man and we've, been, and we've put on the new man. And so he says, since you've put off the old man and put on the new man, don't lie to each other. Uh, that's what the old man would have done. Uh, the old Justin might have said that. The old Justin might have thought that. The old Justin might have done that. But that's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. I mean, can you imagine a slave who has been freed showing up at their master's doorstep and saying, what can I do for you today? Okay, this just doesn't make any sense. When we lie, it's like us showing up at the doorstep of our old master and saying, what can I do, to you to, do for you today? How can I serve you today? Uh, we've got to know who we are and live like who we are. And we're new people. But even more than that, Paul says, uh, you're the elect of God, holy and beloved. All right, when we set out to love one another and show compassion to one another and all these things, we've got to have in our minds um, that it's not our doing these things that makes us right with God. That we don't gain favor with God by being compassionate and humble and kind and all these things. Because if you're in Christ... You already have God's favor. Uh, he's chosen you. He sets you apart. He's, he, he loves you. Uh, and it's not because of how compassionate, kind, and gentle you are. You know, he didn't look down and say, well, there's a compassionate, kind, and gentle person. I think I'll die for him. But it's because he's chosen to love you. Uh, he didn't say, get your act together, and then I'll die for you. Uh, but he dies for you knowing that you don't have your act together. And you're never going to have your act together very well this side of heaven. But he's died for you because he's chosen to love you. And if, if we as individual people and as a church are going to pursue um, compassionate hearts and tender mercies and kindness, if we're going to go after all of that with reckless abandon, we've got to know that even when we fail at living that way, which we will, that we're still the elect of God and holy and beloved. We've got to know who we are. And the last thing here, uh, if we're going to have this vibe as a church, we've got to give our attention to Jesus. Uh, see, our, our culture is constantly telling us what is important is, what matters is that you're beautiful, that you're comfortable, that you're successful, that you're well-off, that you're powerful, that you work less, that you have the latest gadgets. And in the midst of this, Paul says to us, Christ is all. Christ is all. Christ is all. Life is about Christ. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let whatever you do be done in the name of Christ. And that, that's the great test right there, isn't it? 
when you're thinking about whether to do something or not, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father as I do it? Can I lie to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I ignore you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I hold a grudge against you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul's reminding us it's about Christ. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. There's this competing story that that you hear and you wrestle with every day that's saying, it's not about Christ. It's not about Christ. And that's why we need we need the Word. We need the Word of God to dwell in us richly. We need the sacrament. Uh, we need these hymns that we sing, these good words that we hear. We need to be drawn back to this week after week and go, okay, okay, I remember what it's about. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. Uh, the vibe that we want to have as a church is the kind of vibe that happens when you mix compassionate hearts and long-suffering and meekness and kindness and peace and forgiveness and love and worship and thankfulness and all these things are mixed together and it happens among a people who are united by Christ who realize who they are and who are giving their attention to this story about Jesus and who keep coming back to it despite all the noise that's going on around them uh, there's a there's a television show on, on TLC called What Not to Wear, um, and several of you need to get. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's, on, on, that's what all this was about, really. It's an intervention. Uh, s- s- someone sends a letter to TLC, and and they say, uh, you know, my friend Justin really dresses terribly. Can can you fix him up and help him? And if they pick you, then they take you and they buy clothes for you and they show you how to dress and what your color is and, and all that stuff. And they stock you with this new, this closet full of new clothes and all your old clothes. You're like, you can't wear those anymore. And they, they get rid of all of those. What the scripture is telling us is that in Christ, you've been given a new set of clothes. And instead of running into that old closet that's filled with anger and lying and disputing and self-centeredness and dressing in those rags that what we're called to do is to run to the new closet Uh, to run to the closet filled with clothes not that you've created for yourself but that have actually been purchased for you by Christ a closet filled with compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and long-suffering and that closet, it's, it's yours. It's what's in your house now. And you don't have to conjure those things up uh, by your self-will out of thin air. Christ has purchased them for you. So go to Christ and put on those clothes. And let's be this community. Let's have that vibe uh, that God's calling us to have when we pray for us.